Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Welcome to Insights, everyone, where our guest this hour is legendary funk rock and blues artist Lester Chambers, best known for his work with the Chambers Brothers in the 1960s with hits including Time Has Come Today and All Strung Out Over You. Amy Wright chats with Chambers today about landmark moments in his life, including being backstage at Newport Folk Festival when Bob Dylan went electric, and being greeted by the Beatles when he visited London. They also cover his recent feature in the Questlove documentary, Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. This is an informative interview with a pioneering and progressive man who we think you need to know more about. So let's get to it. Please welcome to Insights, Lester Chambers. Lester, it's great to have you and uh, so excited to talk with you a little bit about um, your amazing storied musical career, but also the fact that you're still doing some new projects with Moon Alice and, and, and some of the right. other projects that you're doing and uh, um, just incredible life career in, in music. So mm-hmm. very excited about this. Um, where did you grow up? I know you're in California uh, now, but. Well, I tell everybody that I've grown up twice because I, I, I was born and raised in Mississippi. And I left Mississippi when I was uh, 13 years old. But when you're in Mississippi, being a man, you're already grown. You, your responsibilities of that as of, of such as a grown man. Then I came to Los Angeles and I started all over again as a kid. School, the whole thing. So when you were growing up in Mississippi, was your family musical? Did you already have the Chambers Brothers as a, as a band? Well, no, because we had the Chambers Brothers, but we were a cappella, and we sang to the cotton fields, and we sang to the corn fields, and, and any neighbor that was close enough to hear. Did you learn music through the church, through school? How did you through learn the music? Through the church. And it was kind of sort of a common thing for us to just sing together, my dad and mom's. When the lightning and storms would come, we would sit around the fireplace and sing gospel hymns. So it was kind of in our blood to just keep singing. Is there any gospel hymn that's one of your favorites? Yes. Yes, there is. What would that be? That would be this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine everywhere I go. I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> you know, Lester, I, I'm right there with you. It's one of my favorites, too. I grew up singing in the church as well. So yeah. it was uh, it was really uh, amazing to uh, kind of grow up with that musical background. Yeah, church is a great place for young people to grow up. Unfortunately, these days, it doesn't it doesn't matter where they grow up as long as they, you know, grow up. <laughs> but um, church is a wonderful place to get started. <laughs> Certain, certainly is. And I know that your older brother, George, he, he left Mississippi, he went in the army, and then mm-hmm. he ended up in LA. Why did he move to LA in the after the army? To look forward to having us come to LA. 
Ah, it, was so, all, it was all a plan to get us out of Mississippi. So how many brothers did you have? Or did you have sisters as well or just brothers? I, have, I had, there was eight boys and five girls in the family. So wow. seven brothers and I had five sisters. Did you all move to California? Um, all but one. All but two. The oldest sister had already passed, and one of my older brothers had already passed. But the other ten of us wound up in Los Angeles for sure. So when you got to Los Angeles, you said you were still pretty young. So you kind of were growing up there as well. And did you play music when you were in high school, or did you form the Chambers Brothers again when you got out there? When we first came to Los Angeles, we were a gospel group, uh, keeping in tune with our gospel upbringing in Mississippi. So we were the Chambers Brothers of uh, Los Angeles, California, at which point we were a gospel group. And we sing all over in churches and stuff like that. So I, I, I read that you actually uh, met Jimmy Reed when you were yes. there in California. How did that happen? Well, I happened to be cutting a line, a little small line at this apartment complex. And uh, there had been an empty apartment for rent, but I didn't know. So I'm cutting this line and I heard some music coming out the window. And I went to the window and peeped in, and there sat Jimmy Reed getting ready for a show that he was doing at the Orpheum Theater later that day. So I said to him, hello, how are you? He goes, hi, you like music? I said, yes, I do. And he says, well, come on in. I'm Jimmy Reed, and that was about the extent of it. And... Uh, but I met the Jimmy Reed that I so dearly love. So why was Jimmy Reed in the apartment complex? You would well, think he would be staying in a hotel. As you know, he was black. And during that time, blacks were not allowed in downtown hotels. So they would, if they had an artist or something like that, they would bring them to the outskirts and bring and rent an apartment for the weekend and let them stay there. And that's why Jimmy Reed was in an apartment way out of town because he couldn't, wow. couldn't stay at a hotel. They wouldn't allow it. So what kind of influence did he have on the Chambers Brothers music? Well, Jimmy Reed, <clears throat> as you know it, most people don't know it, was the first guy to bring rhythm and blues to our attention with uh, assistance of his own harmonica playing. And um, at one point when we were doing gospel in the coffee houses, uh, after I had met Jimmy Reed and stuff like that, we were playing in a coffee house, the Ash Grove. And, uh, the Gospel Association decided we shouldn't be allowed to sing gospel 
in coffee houses where they served uh, wine and beer. And so that became a problem and we had to stop. So we took the Jimmy Reed album, which we had now, and learned all of Jimmy Reed's songs and said, okay, hey, let's uh, do Jimmy Reed. We'll he did it a little slow. And we speeded it up and the people loved it just as much as they did the gospel. So was that how you got into the California folk scene? Sort of, yes. That was one of the ways. So what was the folk scene like? Do you remember in the 60s? And I know it was new, but um, what was your experience with that? Well, it was for, it was great because we met Pete Seeger. We met Alla Guthrie and people like that, John Baez. Uh, Bob Dylan, um, just an enormous amount of great people. But the greatest thing about it was we met uh, Johnny Cash and the Carter family. And Johnny Cash took us all the way to the Grand Ole Opry. But so, it, wasn't, it wasn't something that, there was no paparazzi now. There might have been a once in a while, everybody lined up and take a shot but there was no paparazzi running around taking pictures of everything. So our career with Johnny Rack, Johnny Cash was, our time with him was really great. <clears throat> but I noted that we had had such a welcoming to the uh, countryside of the world by Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash was amazing. Um, he, was, he was such a good person. One of the greatest people I ever met, Johnny Cash, the whole family, the Carter family, June, just a wonderful, wonderful and religious, very spiritually inclined. Yeah, he knew what religion meant to people and what it was like to have hardship and uh, also right. success, but that's all part of life. And he was one of those people who kind of embraced everything. He did indeed, and he done it very well and was very, very, very well received all over the world. So what did you learn from meeting Johnny Cash? I learned a lot, like just, you know, just watching him perform the way he approached the stage. And, you know, he was like a professional at it, and I learned a lot from him in that respect of how to talk to people from the stage. I paid that attention. And, you know, just his whole persona was incredible. And if you watched him, you learned because I'm Johnny Cash. <laughs> great man, great man. He definitely had that stage presence. I think a lot of people can learn from that. Yeah. He talked to the audience like they were in his living room. Yeah, just just the whole way he mm -hmm. moved his guitar when he talked and sang and that whole thing is just, you know, was incredible. Just an incredible time. So in the 60s, you guys actually added Brian Keenan to your band and, and that you became one of the first... Uh, bands that that was uh, interracial bands and what was that experience like was there any kind of um, pushback or people were just 
embracing it, and it's the mu- all about the music. Well, you know, music is an amazing thing, and and it breaks through all barriers. And we had no problems. No, never once did the Chambers brothers ever get stopped by the police when we were traveling with Brian in the car because that was the way around now, you know. People didn't fly to gigs because it was out of the question, kind of. But we never had any problems, and Brian immediately became like a brother with us, to us. And it was, you know, like, that's the way it was. And we didn't even acknowledge the fact that people didn't like it because we had a we had an idea that we had to get across and which was let's go make this music let's go make people happy and music does have that um it does have that thing that people just love you know but we never had any problems we never had it. We were never once had had a had a racial dis, dis, disagreement with anybody. You know, uh, sometimes when we would stop at gas stations, the people would say, "What does he do?" And we would say, "Oh, he plays the drums." Oh, and they were all happy with it. And one of the things that was great about our traveling during that time is they knew that we weren't with the freedom singers or that we weren't going to one of the major protests uh, or things of that nature to disagree with what people liked. We never did the, we never did any of the marches or any of that stuff. We let the music do it for us. I can't tell you how many musicians say that about music, that that yeah. if the world could just be more about music, we might not have some of these conflicts that we have. I don't. I I think a lot of conflicts come from unsettled minds and unrest, people that have no nothing to do. Uh, music would be the greatest thing for them, you know. Uh, like now, Moon with Moon Alice, we're the perfect group. We, we have the young, we have the old, we have black, and we have the white, and we have the brown, and we all hang out together, and we are, we are a family, and the world needs what Moon Alice brings to the table now more than anything. Which yes, they do. Great, great community of harmony and get along. Well, tell me about Josh White. He was a guitarist, and I know there was, he was sort of instrumental in um, the Chambers Brothers ending up at the Newport Folk Festival. So how did that happen? Well, Josh White was scheduled to perform, and we had been trying to get there. And something happened. He got sick, and they asked him if he had any choice of who he would like to take his place at the show. And he says, yes, I'd like the Chambers Brothers to sit in for me. And that was the beginning of festival, festival, festival. 
That's a pretty, it's a pretty that. big festival. And of course, you yeah. were there for the famous um, Bob Dylan Goes Electric right. set. And uh, what was that moment like? Well, it was, it was very enjoyable and very uplifting. And uh, what a show. And he came out with his electric guitar and the people in the audience booed. So all of the other folk singers, like John Byers, Pete Seeger, and all of us, we came on stage and joined hands and walked up behind him in support of the fact that he was playing an electric guitar. <clears throat> and the audience didn't like it, but what could they do or what could we do? We were already out there and they were already out there. Well, and so you guys were playing uh, more of a electrified or upbeat version of songs as well, and people were embracing it. Yeah. Well, we had been asked not to play electric, but we've, we had to. There was no choice. There was too many people to, there was such a, an enormous crowd of people. Uh, we just went ahead and played electric and everybody danced to the music and Mr. George Wien, the producer of the festival, thought, okay, okay, but he did ask us not to go out with electric guitars. We didn't have the acoustics, so we had to go electric. Mm -hmm. So when um, when it was all done, though, they asked you back, and that's a rare occasion with the uh, Newport Folk Festival. Well, yeah, it was. I think there was some kind of concern that we did it two years in a row, and um, that was unusual because um, they usually have an artist maybe once every three, four years but they, they requested us back and we went back, had a lot of good time. So was it around this time that you released Time Has Come Today, which is an iconic 1960s generational song that really talks about, um, I'm gonna read some of the lyrics because I think they're poignant from the 1960s and I think they're poignant today. Time has come today, young hearts can go their way can't put it off another day. I don't care what others say. They say we don't listen anyway. The time has come today. And when you wrote that, what were you talking about? What were the lyrics referring to specifically? Well, <clears throat> you have been traveling from coast to coast so many times and, and from coffee house to coffee house and all of a sudden, there was this big, big group of young people that seemed seemed like they had nothing to do, nowhere to go, or nowhere to be. And so we wrote this lyric, Time Has Come Today, that you just read. And as we travel from coast to coast, there were all kinds of, anywhere you look, there were people hitchhiking, coming to the West Coast because there was some kind of freedom here. 
on the West Coast that people just loved. And one of it was great music. There was like Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, um, Moby Grape, Lydia Pinson, Cold Blood, just an enormous amount of great music. And they were playing every Sunday in Golden Gate Park which is now known as uh, Hippie Park. And people would just, every Sunday, just millions and millions of people attended these Sundays in the Golden Gate Park for free. And um, it just grew into a great, great, a great place to be. And it still is for all of us hippies, <laughs> you know? So did you perform in Golden Gate Park? Did you play this song? Well, we, we played there once or twice, and it was more like a jam, free jam, just go mm -hmm. sing out, hang out and sing a song, you know? That's how it started. And, and uh, but then you had people like Bill Graham that was paying attention to the, and Chad Hams that were paying attention to these great crowds coming together for these free concerts and they put organi organization together and it still exists. Still so, exists today. So Time Has Come Today puts you on the map musically as, as a group and you toured all over and I read that you even went to London and and were greeted by the Beatles at the time. Yes. So what was, was that experience like? That was just incredible, you know, to, uh, they were our welcoming committee. Wow. So, so we spent the whole day and afternoon together and then they were off on their journey and we were off on ours, but it was an incredible, great hangout for, you know, the hours that we were able to spend together like that. You know, that was such a great time period when uh, there was the, the, the British music movement and American rock and roll in the 60s, and, and there was so much influence going back and forth across the ocean between mm -hmm. our two countries, and uh, a true appreciation on both sides for what was going on, I think. Well... <clears throat> There was indeed a great appreciation for the music, but uh, and uh, once again we have to give Jimmy Reed credit for the British invasion of America because it was after him going there and doing, I imagine, so many great shows that all of the European groups really became European groups like the Rolling Stones and. It, you know, all those groups, they all sound just like Jimmy Reed did when he was there. But what Jimmy Reed went and did there wasn't happening in America, you know? There was coffeehouse music and there was bluegrass music and country music, of course, but at this particular time, there were no gatherings of big R&B stuff going on. I don't think it would have been allowed, 
but Jimmy Reed came out of Mississippi with an, with an idea that the world needed to hear and feel the meaning of rhythm and blues, and he left it with us, boy, did he ever. Mm-hmm. And right now, I'm, right now I'm doing a tribute album to Jimmy Reed, uh, which is totally almost finished. Well, I hope when you finish it, you're going to share it with us because we would love to uh, hear it. (laughs) I'm going to share it with the world. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to share it with the world. It's amazing how um, there are those moments and people on the planet that uh, just their one influence influences so many people. You can go back to just certain points and Jimmy Reed being one of those that he was single-handedly influenced so much of music yeah he was he was an inventor an invasioner he invaded america with music (laughs) and um they didn't accept it but they sure loved it in europe you know but uh it's incredible how some things are loved here and not there you know but it worked out fine for him and uh, unfortunately, he died very young. And uh, I'd love to see him again in the real, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're helping preserve his legacy. That I am. That I am. And I do really hope that people can understand how much love one like Jimmy Reed can leave for a place like America. Um, You know, it's incredible that almost any and all and every music you hear today still has some Jimmy Reed in it. Believe me and trust me, it does. For sure. And um, just, he was just, he was incredible. And I'm so glad that you're, uh, you're actually putting out this album, and we look forward to hearing that. Um, when, uh, when you were touring with the Chambers Brothers back in the 60s, what are, what are some of your fondest memories, and what was that time like, just in general, to be a musician and touring musician in the 60s? Well, it was sometimes intense and sometimes very, very enjoyable. Most times very, very enjoyable. But the traveling, we, once we had that hit record with Time Has Come Today, we sort of became like, just go, 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 go. We had, sometimes we would work as much as three years without a day off, you know? And at one point we just stopped and said, I don't think nobody's, you know, in the business end is saying they're not appreciating how much this is doing to our health, what kind of health causes, you know, we had so much, we had gigs, gigs, gigs every night and sometimes two a day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we would do a 3.30 afternoon show and then a nine o'clock night show, you know? especially when we came to California, 
area. We would do San Diego at three o'clock in the evening and win a land of, of the Fillmore at uh, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. And the enjoyment, so many great people that still, I still, I'm still in touch with a lot of people that I met back in that day. And it's a great thing. So I know that a lot of artists actually were pushed really hard back then, harder than they're pushed now, because I think there are a lot of things in place that <clears throat> that uh, keep that from happening. But mm-hmm. um, but still, you know, it's it's when you're on the road, it's very tough. And like you said, when you're playing every day and you have no break, there's it's very intense and it's uh, it's a lot to have to come out every day and perform yeah. for people. Yeah. Well, at which point your greatest enjoyment is getting back on the next stage. And sometimes you forget what city you're in because you just have such a repeated reputation of being one place tonight and the next place tomorrow night and the next place tomorrow night. And you forget sometimes. And But the most enjoyment of being on the road like that is stage to stage and sometimes and you have sometimes you have uh, followers that show up at every gig you do regardless to where it is and that's pretty amazing too because then you feel like you really have some friends on the road with you what is it like to look out into the audience and see people singing your songs And familiar faces. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. So after the Chambers brothers um, broke up because you you needed a break, and what Mm. what were you doing musically at that point? All of you, did you? Well, we really didn't break up uh, like that, and that's never been quite clearly explain to people, uh, we thought we were being transferred from one label to the other, but not another, but to a subsidiary of Columbia Records, which was fully international. And for, for as we knew, president of Columbia Records and the presidents of Philly International had agreed that we would now go with Philly International because it was basically a black label and there had always been confusion with the Chambers Brothers being on Columbia Records uh, as a black group they didn't want a black group on Columbia Records. Uh, they wanted uh, they wanted us to be. If we were on Columbia Records, they wanted us to be more like a black group singing doo wop as opposed to rock and roll. And at which point we were told that rock and roll belongs to white musicians, not black musicians. So eventually we were assigned to uh, uh, go with 
Philly International and we recorded the record and at which point they said, there's no such thing as the Chambers Brothers on Philly International. Um, so we wound up sort of dropped just like that with no Columbia, uh, no Philly International or nothing. And with the presidents of Philly International saying the Chambers Brothers are lying. They never recorded a, a record on Philly International. But now some of the records, some of the songs from the recording has been released. And people are saying, wow, you guys actually did record an album on Philly International. And we said, yes, in the late 70s, we recorded a record on Philly International called, Oh My God. The album cover was two white birds flying with a branch across the album cover and blood dripping from the branch. And they didn't like, they didn't accept the album cover. So that left us totally in the dark with nowhere to go. Were those new songs and what happened to the music? Well, a couple of the songs have been released and the rest, uh, we don't know what happened to it. All we know is that we had to pay back the, uh, the advancement that had been made to Philly International for the production of the album. The Chambers Brothers had to pay it back. And it's still in limbo what happened and how it happened. And, and um, we did, we did our, as you might know, we were on Mike Douglas' show uh, several times, but this particular times after we recorded the CD, the album for, for Philly International, we did two of the songs from the album as a promo on the Mike Douglas show with John Lennon and Yoko. This has got a new album coming out January, around January, uh, sorry, February 15th. February 15th. Until, oh my God, uh, the kind of Jesus rock, spiritual rock. And, uh, wow. Really looking forward to that one. And, then I, and we're still getting these two guys from Philly International saying, the Chambers Brothers were never signed to a, an agreement with us. We don't know who they are. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I would but, like to say that that would never happen today, but it can still happen anywhere. But it could, um, yeah. They're, um, you know, the fact that they were uh, not truthful about it is is crazy, especially when it comes totally. to music. Totally, totally, totally. So, did you totally. get support from uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono for uh, with regard to that those particular songs? Didn't say that again, Don. Did you get support from John Lennon or Yoko Ono once they did they know that these songs or that? Uh, no, they they, were, they knew nothing. They knew nothing yeah. about it. They they were just happy to be on on show with us. John Lennon was co-host of McDouglas' show. It was great. So after after this period, what did you guys do? Were you um, playing music, your brothers, so you're still a family. 
Did you play music together? Did you have solo careers? What were you doing during this time? Um, actually, we were left in limbo, waiting and waiting and waiting. And at which point I said, you know, I think we've been dumped. So I put together my first uh, my first solo group, which was called LCG with Lester Chambers Group, and we were doing fine. We had gotten a record deal with a uh, uh, major record label and producer and all that. With they decided to have us go on tour to really unify the group and bond with the group. So I bought a mobile home and we hit the road and we got to uh, Connecticut. We were on tour with Les McCann and he, he just had that big hit out. I'm in with the in crowd and uh, we were his opening act and we were playing big, big, big clothes, big places like ski lodges and stuff like that that could hold seven or eight hundred people in the audience. And uh, I woke up one morning feeling, you know, feeling like, wow, what happened? Something's wrong. And I go downstairs to the uh, stage and the drums are gone. My drums are gone off the stage. So I went outside and looked and my mobile home was gone. So were the guys in the band, and I'm thinking, oh my God, they, they, they left, and they took my mobile home and everything, and left me here by myself, and, and I uh, waited around a little bit, and here comes my mobile home back, and I said, where'd you guys go? And he says, well, Leon got another job, and he left the band. We drove him to the airport. I said, who did he get a job with? And he, they said, the Funkadelics. I kind of, are you serious? My, our drama left us to go be with the Funkadelics. And here we sat again. It took me three months to get out of Connecticut. Wow. You know, finally I got back to Los Angeles and I took the mobile home and started a moving company called Teamwork. <laughs> and I hauled furniture around from the airport to people and people were, it was, you know, people were downsizing on their apartments and homes and I, it was a busy job, but it was real hard. And, uh, Finally, I just said, hey, everybody else can sit around and live on unemployment, so can I. But then I got real sick because of the worrying and how much, you know, how much had been taken from me and the brothers and the whole thing. And I wound up with colon cancer. And um, that was another six, seven years of nothing to do but get better. So Dill and I decided, my son, my youngest son, 
he sings with me now in Moon Alice. We decided we let's leave Los Angeles. So we left Los Angeles and we moved to Copperopolis, California, where she was the apparently the we didn't have a clue how discombobulated the people were up there, but they didn't appreciate Dill and me up there, so we moved to uh, Mill Valley down here and up on the floor in a recording, not a recording studio, and uh, hung out, hung out. And then we moved to a house. Well, we got a house. And uh, one day I was sitting there wondering, Dylan and I discussed over and over and over what we're going to do, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it. And one day the phone rang and there was Roger McMinney on the phone. And he was asking if I would become a part of the Summer Sulphurs Festival. Festival. I said, oh God, yes. And the rest is history. I'm still here. Thank God I'm here. Well, you know, that, you have such an incredible story, and um, it's a and a path that you've taken. What I love is it's come full circle back to music, and um, and I know that you were in a documentary also on the Summer of Soul that was produced by Questlove. And um, were you actually? Did you actually perform at the Harlem Cultural Festival? Or yeah, yes, we did. We the Chambers Brothers. Actually, were, we hope organized that whole Summer of Soul uh, festival event. And um, there we were with uh, Stevie Wonder, 19 years old, Mahalia Jackson, Staple Singers, whew, Fifth Dimension, Gladys Knight and the Pips. Oh boy, what a show, what a show. That what had to be incredible. It was one of the most enjoyable run of weekends for summer music and summer of love was just all you could ask for. And uh, thank God Love decided to go shopping in the basement. <laughs> and he found that tape and said, hey, this is what I'm doing. And uh, he did a great job. So now, Moon Alice, it's just, uh, like you said earlier, it's your current project you're working on with your son, Dylan, and a bunch of other really great musicians. And, great musicians. Um, and you guys just released uh, an old Chamber of Brothers song, Let's Get Funky, yes, new version of it. Get, the 11th of this month, we released Let's Get Funky, a new version with the uh, Moon Alice. And that's great. You know, great version. You can just stream it on most streaming networks. You can pick it up and listen to it there. So is Moon Alice putting out an album soon? Yes, Moon Alice has released an album. Oh, the album is coming out, I'm informed. And uh, which is great, 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 great music, great songs. And, you know, like I said earlier, Moon Alice is, 
exactly what the world needs now because we are a young group we're an old group we got young and old members and the most enjoyable thing in the world about the group is i get to sing with my son every night dylan chambers what a what a guy <laughs> what a guy and t sisters what a group of angels they are and everybody in the band is just incredible group it's five musicians and five singers so it's um, we're looking forward to having some great shows in the future when you said what the world needs now it reminded me of that song that's i think it was back in the early 70s of what the world needs now is love sweet love we just did that oh you did yes i love it's, that song it's, it's not on the album but um we do that song in our show well and i have to come to a show and, lester and a medley of songs about love we do what the love, what the world needs now you have to come to the show i'm going to come i promise check it out we're going to be at the uh Great American Music Hall on the, in February. I'm sorry, April. April the 22nd. To be exact. So if there's any advice, we'll wrap this up, but if there's any advice you can give to people based on such an incredible life. You lived in Mississippi, you moved to LA, you were in this amazing group and then you had some tough times and you're back doing some amazing things again what advice would you give to people be true to yourself and always respect others respect of others will take you further in the world than anything you can imagine is to be respected and have people respect you and respect others and of course what the world needs now more than anything is love and understanding and harmony as to how to get along with each other and music brings that to the table because you can go places with a frown on your face and listen to the music and come out with a smile on your face and pep in your step because you got energized by the love of music and with a group like moon alice boy we have love for you do we have great love for you and uh, we just want you to know that uh well lester those are words to live by and it's been such a pleasure talking to you about your life and moon alice and um the great place you're in today so we really appreciate you coming by and i can't wait to come see you live um see some of your music and hear some of your oh. music and see you live great well if you do say hello <laughs> i definitely will i definitely yes. will thank you again thank you so very much and it's been wonderful talking with you and the world Ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap for this edition of Insights. 
Our biggest thanks to everyone listening for tuning in today and for supporting the hardworking and often underappreciated artists that we work with here at Diddy TV, like Lester Chambers. Time has come today, People Get Ready, and many other songs. Chambers brought us music that continues to keep a bold presence in our culture, and now with his band Moon Alice, he still carries the torch of that pioneering spirit that he's always had. Please visit LesterChambers.com to learn more. From all of us at Diddy TV, thanks again for tuning in today, and we hope to see you again real soon, right here on Insights. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.